Good morning. If I've not had the privilege of meeting you this morning, my name is Andrew Self. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, If this is your first Sunday gathering with our church family, we're so glad to have you with us. Um, I would love to meet you after the service and uh, maybe help you get connected or answer any questions that you have. But regardless, I am glad that you're here this morning. We are almost done with Exodus. I know some of you that might result in uh, some gnashing of teeth because you've just enjoyed Exodus so much, and some of you it may bring forth tears of joy knowing that counting this Sunday we've got five more weeks left in Exodus. Whatever your response is, we've got five more weeks. So this has been a a fun book to go through. It's been really formative for me. It's been really challenging for me, Uh, but we've got just a, a handful of sermons to go in Exodus. This morning we're going to be in Exodus 35 and 36, and when I say 35 and 36, I mean 35 pretty much 99% of it because Cole has already squeezed out every ounce of tabernacle sermons that we could possibly preach. So I don't really get to touch a lot of that unless you want, another, unless you want me to copy and paste Cole's sermon. I wouldn't do as good of a job as uh, copying and pasting Cole's sermon though, so we're not going to do that. We're going to focus the, the majority of our time on Exodus 35. As before we get to Exodus 35, I want you to know the, the lens through which I've been processing this text and that I want us to process together this morning. And this is what I want us to get from this text this morning is, how do we respond to God's radical generosity? How do we respond with, with stirred up hearts and with moved spirits to respond to God and all of his generosity that he has given us, his people? How do we respond to that? So we're going to work through this. That's going to be our end goal this morning is how do we respond to God's generosity? So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, let's stand together and receive Exodus 35. Exodus 35, we'll start in verse 1. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins. Acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen. The table with its poles and its utensils, and the bread of the presence. The lampstand also for the light, with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light. And the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door, at the door of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils. The basin and its stand, the hangings of the court its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his, for his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of, is, of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came 
everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, bought brooches, and earrings, and signet rings, and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offer of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tan ram's skin or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose heart stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones, and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded Moses, by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord." Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach, both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. This is the word of God, brothers and sisters. You can be seated. Father, once again, we find ourselves looking to you and looking to your word for how we are to live our lives. Once again, we we find ourselves in need of you, in need of your presence, in need of your power. So Lord, we, as we just sang, we need you. We need you to move in us. We need you to stir up our hearts. We need you to move our spirits towards you. Because if we're left on our own, we are not going to be a people who respond to you out of joy. So please help us. Please be present with us. Please bury these scriptures in our heart so that we can be a people who are changed by your generosity and who respond in kind with generosity. It's in the name of Jesus and by the power of his spirit we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever experienced radical generosity in your life before. I hope that you have. Tracy and I, when we got engaged, we experienced some intense radical generosity from a, a couple that were friends of my family. They, they came to us and said, hey, Andrew and Tracy, we, we want to throw you guys an engagement party. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. That'd be, you know, we're going to go to their house, and we're going to have some you know, punch, and there'll be some cupcakes there, and some banners, and that sort of stuff. That's what I had in my mind of an engagement party. Right? Some of you may have been to some engagement parties that were kind of, eh, that's okay. And some of you may have been to an engagement party like, this is like an, I want to get engaged all the time so I can have an engagement party like this. This was that kind of a party. They, they told us to, hey, pick eight friends. Pick eight friends that you want to be at this engagement party. So I'm thinking, okay, that's a, that's a good crew. And then my parents came, and then they invited a couple of people. 
And this wasn't just some engagement party that I would have planned, but this was an engagement party that some people who loved me and who loved Tracy planned. They, they, they chose to have this engagement party at the most expensive restaurant in the town that I grew up in, in the town that Tracy was living in at the time, this fancy, swanky steakhouse. And it wasn't just like, hey, choose a steak and uh, get a tea, and maybe some rolls are thrown in there in the middle. This was a multi-course meal, a multi-course meal. This was an expensive meal. This wasn't just some, some meal that, that somebody's mom cooked. This is a meal that somebody who's getting paid a lot of money has cooked. Right? This is a, a thou- several thousands of dollars these people spent on Tracy and I to celebrate our engagement, to, to enjoy company with us, and to in- invite others into enjoying company, our company and all that God was doing in our lives. These people were some of the most generous people I have ever met. They gave my mom a car when my dad lost his job in the recession. These people have over and over and over again poured out their finances, poured out their time, poured out their talents for the sake of building up God's people and furthering his mission. When I encountered these people, I I was changed by that. These people, they they were well off, but they understood that all that they had had come from the Lord through Christ Jesus. They understood what was in their bank account. They understood that what was in their house was all to be used for building up the church and furthering God's mission on earth. And that has transformed the way that I look at things. That has transformed the way that I look at money. I have to understand over and over and over again and remind myself that what I have has not come into existence because of the work of my hands. Sure, God may use the work of my hands as a way to receive finances, as a way to receive resources, but ultimately it all comes from his hand. And that's what we see going on here in Exodus 35. We see that the people of Israel are presented a challenge to be generous. We see that the people of Israel are being challenged to step up and to respond to Yahweh's generosity, the generosity that he had lavished upon them time after time after time again. He was calling them to respond to his generosity with generosity. So we're going we're gonna to look at our text. We're going to break it up into a few pieces. And then we're going to see how does this point us to Jesus? How does this lead us to Jesus? And how does this lead us to respond properly to the generosity that we Christians, we followers of Jesus, have received from Jesus? So that's what we're going to do today. Pretty simple. We're not going to get into the weeds and do some of the weird stuff that I normally like to do. We're going to look at how do we respond to Jesus' generosity. Exodus 35 starts off with a reminder of the Sabbath. We've we've seen the Sabbath now for the third time in Exodus. Luke preached an awesome, uh, awesome sermon on here is a theology of the Sabbath. Here is why the Sabbath is important. So we're not. I'm not going to preach that sermon again. We also did a podcast. So if you're interested in the Sabbath, we've got those two resources online for you. But I think that it's interesting. That upon the building of the tabernacle, upon the, the call to contribute to the Lord, to give a free will offering, we see here a reminder of the Sabbath. Now, some scholars will say, hey, this is just because a whole bunch of people wrote Exodus and they just sloppily put it all together. I, I don't think that that's the case. I, I think that Yahweh wants his people to know the importance of the Sabbath. So we see the Sabbath come up in the collection of manna. Don't, don't collect manna on the seventh day. Collect two times as much on the sixth day. I will provide for you on the seventh day. Whenever we got the instructions on how the tabernacle was to be built, there was this reminder of the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy. Don't work on the Sabbath. Stop working so you can rest in God's work and join him in celebrating his completion, the fullness that he is bringing into reality. And I would think 
if I were a person of Israel, that I would, this would be music to my ears. Right? These people were once subjects of, of a tyrant. They didn't get to choose when they would work. They didn't get to choose how they worked. They didn't get to choose the, the tasks and the, the order of events to a, a complete those tasks. They were subject to the tyranny of Pharaoh, who could call them to work every day of the week who could call them to work whenever he wanted to. They were subject to the whims and the will of Pharaoh, but now they have been brought into God's kingdom. God has brought them into his family. He is their God. They are his people, and he wants them to know that the work that they accomplish is good, but it's not ultimate, that Yahweh himself is powerful, that he brings fullness, that he brings completion. And so he's saying, hey, before you guys get busy in bringing stuff to build the tabernacle, before you get busy doing all the intricate work that is going to involve bringing the tabernacle into existence, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Join me in celebrating my goodness. Join me in celebrating creation. I think that's important for us to see here, that the tabernacle was not just a building that that was going to be brought into existence for, for Israel. This was going to be Yahweh's home on earth, his portable Eden, his mobile home. And when they're working on building in this, this tabernacle, this home of Yahweh, they need to be reminded that Yahweh is in control, that he owns their time, that he owns their resources, that he owns their talents, and he is going to use all of that. The, the creation of the tabernacle was not just hinged on the ability of the Israelites, but on Yahweh's ability, on his work, on his sovereignty. So we see this Sabbath reminder, and then we see Moses give this call to generous giving. Moses says, take from among you a contribution for Yahweh, whoever is of a generous heart. So this is not some coercive call to give. This is not Moses walking around with a stick, you know, wagging it around, and if somebody didn't give something, him going over and cracking them over the head with a stick. That's not what's going on here. Moses is saying, Yahweh wants you to contribute. He wants you out of a generous heart to contribute to the building of the tabernacle. He wants you to give the things that you have, the gold, the goat skins, the goat hair, the ram skins. He wants you to give these things, these precious and valuable resources. He wants you to give them to the construction of the tabernacle. He wants you to build up his home. So imagine being a newly freed slave who probably didn't have a whole lot of resources. And now you've got gold on your finger, gold around your neck, you've got some, you've got some bling, you've got all these precious metals and these stones. For the first time in your life, you, you have some resources that are worth a, a good deal of money. You once lived in captivity, and whatever you had could be immediately taken away from you. You maybe and probably had very little. But Yahweh had provided for his people he provided for his people. You remember how? We looked at earlier in Exodus, before they left Egypt, after the Passover, Yahweh told his people to, hey, go and ask your neighbors for, their, for clothes. Go and ask your neighbors for gold and silver and bronze. Ask your neighbors for these things. And, and Yahweh had given the people of Israel favor among the, the Egyptian people, their neighbors, and they gave them what they asked for. Gave him what they asked for. So Yahweh had provided for his people in this moment in the past. Before you leave Egypt, ask for these resources and they'll be given to you. So I'm trying to put myself in, the, in this place. Like I'm the kind of person, I'm real, I like to 
prepare for the future. Like some people would call me a prepper. Um, but I like to gather resources. I like to, I'm the kind of guy when I go to a hotel, I'm walking in the doors thinking, what all can I get from here? And I'm, not, I'm not talking about the pillowcases and the, and the towels and stuff. I'm talking about when I go to the breakfast buffet, I'm like, I probably could get some of these jelly packets here and take those back home. I'm not going to use all these coffee cups right now in, in the hotel room, but I probably could use those in the future. And I, 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 you know, I organize them, put them in containers when I get home. I'm like, look at all of my stuff. I'm the, that's the type of person I am, and I, I don't want to let go of these things. So imagine being a newly freed slave, and you've got these resources. You've got this gold. You've got this, these stones. Imagine how, how precious you would, you would think of these things. Imagine how much you would want to keep a hold of them because you've not had this stuff before. And now you're being called to give up what you have for the building up of the tabernacle. How would you respond? If you were in an ancient Israelite's shoes in this moment in Exodus 35, how would you respond? Would you say, no way, I I used to have just a little bit of stuff. No way, this is really important to me. I'm trying to build a future for my family and a future for my children. Or would you say, absolutely, I'll give it. Absolutely, I'll give it because I understand that all that I have has come from the hand of Yahweh. How would you respond? I know how I would respond in certain seasons of my life. I know if I had enough, or I would like to think if I had abundance, yeah, that's why I'll give, I'll give up some things because I've got a lot. But there are, there are parts of my life where I say, God, I have so little right now, uh, I can't give anything. I don't want to give anything. I don't want to give my time. I don't want to give my skills. I don't want to give my resources because I have little. I'm stretched thin right now. How, how would I, if I'm, I'm putting myself in, in an ancient Israelite's shoes here in Exodus 35, and I, I want to say I would be compelled by a generous heart, but I know that there are times where I, I, I don't want to, where I want to hoard all of my possessions, where I want to have good theology about, yeah, I know all this comes from, from the Lord, but it's mine now, so I'm going to keep it. But we see the people of Israel respond because they knew that what they had came from Yahweh. They knew what they had. So we're going to see later on in Exodus 35 how they respond. But then Moses gives another call. So he's given a call to radical generosity as a result of a compelled heart, a moved spirit. And now he moves on and says, Let all the skillful craftsmen among you make all Yahweh has commanded. So now he's calling for service. He's calling for skills. He's asked for resources. He's asked for finances. He's asked for treasures. Now he's asking for them to, to give their talents. He goes through this list of people who are, who are skilled, women who are skilled at weaving together goat's hair, women who are skilled at, at weaving together and intertwining precious and colorful yarns. We, we, get to, we see our, our homies Oholiab and Bezalel come back into the picture. Yahweh had set them apart. He had filled them with the spirit for leading the charge in the construction of the tabernacle. Moses is calling these people to serving and building up the, the house of God. And this wasn't something that was going to be constructed overnight. This wasn't some cookie-cutter home in the suburbs on a cul-de-sac. This was something that was going to be ornate. This was something that was going to be intricate. This was something that was going to remind the people of Israel of God's Eden ideal. Right? That's what we see all, we've seen multiple times about the descriptions of the tabernacle. It's, it's to strike this, this imagination of the Garden of Eden. What they were going to be doing 
was beautiful. What they were going to be doing was ornate. What they were going to be doing was showing the glory and the hugeness of their God. So he's calling them to give their talents. And so this isn't just some random person. It'd be like me saying, I'm going to build a table, right? Nick, our worship leader, he, he likes to do a lot of woodworking, and he'll, t- he'll talk to you about it later after the service if you're interested in that. But this would be like me saying, I, I'm just going to go build one of these tables. I've seen Nick do it. I probably could do that. But the, So this, these weren't just a bunch of Andrew types that are being called to give, give their service. These were people who were good at their jobs. Because a lot of these people, they were being used in Egypt to construct the, the temples for the worship of Egyptian gods. These were people who were making the clothing for Egyptian priests to offer up sacrifices to Egyptian gods. These were people who were building up monuments and statues for the pharaohs. These were people who were good at their jobs. And so now they're being called into constructing Yahweh's home. Now they're being called to weave together garments for the priests of Israel to intercede on their behalf before Yahweh. Yahweh is is using all of who they are now. No longer do they have to be subject to the tyranny of Pharaoh, but they get to be subjects of Yahweh, the God of gods, the God who says, you are my people, Israel. I have set you apart. I've set you aside for myself. Now I want you to join me. I want you to work with me in building my home so that you know my presence is with you. So that there is a way for you to be interceded for. So that there's a way for you to have a mediator between you and me. Now you have someone who's going to go in and commune with me and make sacrifices so that your sins can be forgiven. This was significant. This is hugely significant. So these people are called to, to give and they're called to serve. And they're called to give up and sacrifice their time. So how do the people respond to this? Well, Exodus, starting in verse 20 of Exodus 35, it says, And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought Yahweh's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. And the people responded, whose hearts moved them, whose hearts were stirred and their spirits were moved, and they said, I will, I will do the work that is needed. I will use my skills. I'll use my talents to, to bring this tabernacle into existence because I know that Yahweh has given me what I have. Yahweh has made me who I am. Yahweh has given me the skills that I have, and they're not just for me to hoard to myself, but I'm to respond to his generosity with generosity. I will give up all of my time. I will give up my resources and my prized possessions. I'll utilize my my job skills to build up the house of God. Yahweh used the people of Israel's generosity to build up his house here on earth. This is huge. Right? This again, how would you respond? Would this be would this be you? Would you have a moved spirit and a stirred up heart? Or would you have a stagnant heart and a, and a still spirit. This is a, a convicting passage for me because I am not always responsive in this way. And our church is a, is a very generous church. I've received generosity from this church time and time again. I, I could spend 30, 40 minutes right here, right now, talking to you about all the generosity that my family Not to mention all the other families in our church that I know of who have benefited and who have flourished because of the generosity of other people in our church. And so I've I've witnessed and tasted firsthand your stirred hearts, your moved spirits. 
but I'm convicted because my heart isn't always like that. And, and for me, I think it's the time piece. I don't want to give up my time. My time is so precious, and so I say, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give some money to a thing, or maybe I'll, I'll give some of my talents whenever I feel like it, but my time, I want to put up these big, huge castle walls and protect my time. I want to have my time on my own terms. But the people of Israel, they understood the magnitude of Yahweh's generosity. They understood that he has provided for them, that everything that they had was from him. And so their hearts were stirred. Their spirits were moved. I don't think this is a result of just some mindless acting. I think they meditated and thought about all that Yahweh had done that he had brought them out of Egypt in, a, in an entertaining way, in a, domin, in a way that dominated Egypt and the gods of Egypt and dominated Pharaoh. They thought about how it, he had fed them time and time again, how, they had, how he had watered them time and time again, how he had protected them from Pharaoh being angry and trying to come and wipe them out. He had protected them from the Amalekites. He had forgiven their sins for them, breaking at least two of the commandments in Exodus 34. They thought deeply about how Yahweh loved them, how Yahweh had taken care of them. And this meditation, this deep thinking led to them responding with radical generosity. And so as, as I'm reading this passage, I'm thinking, how does this lead us to Jesus? How, how does this, this long chapter in Exodus with lots of descriptions about a whole bunch of stuff, like I don't, I don't fashion together goat's hair, so how does, how does all of this stuff, how does this description of all these resources, how does this lead us to Jesus? And so you, you would notice in our, in our liturgy this morning, we, we talked about the house of God, that, that we are temples. No longer is there a tent of meeting, no longer is there a tabernacle, no longer is there a, a temple, or, or is there? Well, the New Testament says that, that the church of, of God is a temple, that individual believers are little temples in which God's spirit dwells. We see 1 Peter 2.4 describes the followers of Jesus as living stones who are built up into God's spiritual home. 1 Corinthians 6.19 shows us Paul rebuking and going after sexual immorality by saying, don't you know that your bodies are temples in which God's presence lives? So you and I, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a temple. The Holy Spirit lives in you. God's presence dwells in you. And how did that come into to work? Did you build up yourself into God's temple? Did you build yourself up into this sacred space? Did you have to give up some onyx stones and some other stones and some goat's hair and some animal skin? Did you have to bring things into the equation for you to be made into a temple? No, no, you didn't, and no, I didn't. We see that Jesus built us up, that Jesus is building us up into the household of God. And Jesus didn't do this. He didn't build us up into the household of God with, with, some, with some natural resources, with precious metals. He didn't do that. He didn't call us to give up something. Jesus came to us and says, this is what I'm going to do to make you into a temple. This is what I'm going to do to fill you with with my spirit, I'm going to give up my body. I'm going to pour out my blood for you to be cleansed, for you to be made a sacred space for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. Jesus pierced side. Jesus crushed spirit. Jesus loneliness were the building materials that God used to build you and I up into the house of God. Jesus had experienced betrayal. 
Jesus experienced his disciples fleeing from him. Jesus experienced mockery. Jesus was spit in the face. Jesus had a crown of thorns rammed into his head. Jesus was flogged. Jesus was led up onto a hill where they put nails in his hands and in his feet, where people mocked him and made fun of him, hanging between two rebels. Jesus had a spear driven in his side and drank all of God's wrath unedited, uncut, so that you could be built up into the temple of God. That's amazing for you and I to think about, this radical generosity that Jesus has shown us. Jesus didn't require you and I to bring something to him. Jesus came to you and to I and made us into temples for his spirit to dwell in. That's amazing for me to think about. Because whenever I meditate on that, whenever I think about the generosity of Jesus, the Son of God who left heaven to come into this earth as a human and give up all of who he was, to give up all of his time, to give up all of his talents, to give up all of his treasures, he set aside a comfy life for you and I to be constructed and built into the household of God. This is radical generosity. Jesus had every right to tell you and I, bring me something, but he didn't. Because he knew that we were incapable of doing that. We would never be able to get to him. So he came to us to build us up into his people, his household, his temple. And so that, that thought process of thinking of Jesus' generosity, that should lead you and I to radical generosity, right? This, this should cause us to realize all of our resources, all of our cars, all of our kitchens, all of our living rooms, all of our bank accounts, all of these things have been given to us through Jesus. We have what we have because of Jesus. And I know some of you may be saying, I, I think I know where this is going. This is going to be a sermon on a capital campaign or a tithe. Some of those things are built up in this, but I, I think a much more beautiful and helpful category to think through is generosity. Generosity. Because in this text, we don't see a, a percentage here. We don't see a frequency of recurring gifts and donations and tithes. We don't see a people's value being based on a dollar amount. We see people being challenged with radical generosity. We see people being called to respond to Yahweh's generosity with generosity. So we have to understand that all of our time, all of our talents, and all of our treasures come from Jesus. We have to understand that because if we don't understand that, We'll hear sermons like this, we'll, we'll read texts of scripture like this, and we'll think, this is just a guilt trip to give, to, to, for me to give some money. This is just you wanting some volunteers in the nursery. I, I know where you're going with this. This is just you wanting to leverage scripture to make me do something. And I, I want to say, no, this isn't. We're going to talk about some practicals here in a second. But you've got to think on the goodness of Jesus and the generosity of Jesus, because that, that will stir up your heart to give yourself your resources, and your talents. If you don't, it's just going to be guilt, or it's going to be mindless service, or it's going to be bitter giving of your time. You've got to think on the goodness of Jesus, because if you do, I guarantee that's going to lead you to responding to Jesus' radical generosity with radical generosity. That's going to, it's going to inevitably lead there. Some of us, it may take us a longer path. Some of us may be here already, but if you meditate on the goodness and the generousness of Jesus, it will lead you to living a radical life. It will lead you to being radically generous with all of who you are and all of what you have. So I think our, our text here in Exodus 35 gives us a, a helpful framework 
for how we are to be generous and with what we are to be generous. We see the people of Israel give up their treasures, they give up their talents, and they give up their time. So they give up their, their treasures. They give up their, their resources. And this is a hard thing. It's hard. I, I, I am right there with you because I don't always think about the generosity of Jesus. And so whenever a time comes to give up my, my, my resources, I want to say, uh, you know, I'd rather do the other two areas. I'd rather not do this. I'd rather not give my money, my hard-earned money, to the household of God, right? I don't say it as clearly to myself as that. Whenever I say it out loud, that sounds pretty wicked. That I've got all that I have, all the money that I have, all the financial resources that I have come from the Lord, but I don't want to give the Lord anything in return. That's, that's wicked. Like I, I would, I'm acting like one of my children who will remain nameless, <clears throat> But she, she like sets up all of hers. <laughs> I've only got two, so it's pretty easy to figure out. Um, but she, she loves these little tiny erasers, these little calico critters, the most infuriating toy ever. If you've got young girls, you know what I'm talking about. But she's got all these little things, and she will just set them up on her vanity. She'll set them up on little CDs and on her bookshelf and in her closet shelves. And God forbid you go in there and touch one of those. Last night, I moved something off the bed onto her little play kitchen, and something was out of order, and she lost her mind because I had come in and I had messed up with her resources. That's how a lot of us act when we're called to give our resources. That's how a lot of us feel whenever we're called to be hospitable and create an open home and use our money to, to, spend, to spend money on food for people to experience the presence and the love of Jesus. We say, don't come in here and mess up my stuff. Some of us, we... We either fear and tremble or we, we worship and celebrate our, the bottom line in our bank account. We let that rule over us. We, we let the number that pops up at the ATM rule our lives. We say, this, this here, this is mine. And we say, I've got, I've got the, I believe this comes from you, but it's, it's mine right now. We don't want to steward. We don't want to be generous with, with the, re, the financial resources that the Lord has given us. Right? Retirement plans are great. Bank account balances, awesome. Everybody, I'm pretty sure everyone in this room, we would like a bigger one. Health insurance, that stuff is good. All of these things are good. God is not calling you to, to mindlessly and foolishly live your life. It's good to want to succeed and to make more money. But if you're, the result of you wanting to make more money is just to make your life more comfortable, that could be a bad thing. That could be a bad thing. Because I... I know that of myself. I know this is true of myself. I know that, that I have this tendency of, I've got this poverty mindset of thinking, this is all going to go away soon, so I need to hold on to it. I, I, I don't want to give my, re, my financial resources to building up the church because I, I might need this in the future. Right? Go back to the hotel scenario that I was talking about. I might need this coffee cup one day, and I wind up throwing it away like six days later. Right? I, I treat my money like that sometimes, where I say, this is going to go away. It's going to go away. But I have to remind myself that I have what I have because of Jesus. And Jesus has given me my financial resources to build up the church. To, to build up the church corporately, but then also to build up my community group. And also to build up the, the relationships that I have in the church. That's why I have been given what I have given. So the people respond with their financial treasures. And the people also respond with their talents. 
God has given each of us a specific skill set. He's given each of us particular giftings. And they're not to terminate in and on yourself. They are to be used to build up the church. So volunteering on Sunday mornings is a way for you and I to use our talents. We've got so many incredibly gifted people in our church whether they be teachers or musicians or liturgists or taking care of children or helping set up. We have so many people in this church that are so gifted by the Lord that 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 builds up our local church family. It it really does. It builds up our local church family. We've got so many people in in our church that are mechanically gifted that I know people have helped other people with house projects. I know that people have helped other people get out of hard situations with their talents and their giftings that the Lord has given them. And it's a beautiful sight to see God's church take care of one another and build one another up. God has gifted you with your gifts to give to others, to build up this church family, to build up the global church. So don't, don't sit on your giftings. Don't sit on your talents. Don't hide them away and hoard them to yourselves. The Lord has given you something to give to your local church family, to give to him. Be radically generous with your giftings. There's so many ways that you can be generous with what the Lord has gifted you with. And the people gave up their time. They gave up their time to this this massive project of building up the tabernacle. And time is one of those things where you don't know how much much of it you've got. You can't go to a time ATM machine and say, uh, check balance. We don't know how much we have. And so for a lot of us, this is hard for us to let go of. We've got this time in our hands, and it's slipping through our fingers like sand. And so we want to hoard it. We want to keep it to ourselves. We want to protect our lives. We want to do what we want with our time. Giving your time is one of the most sacrificial and radically generous things that you can do. So being a part of of Sunday mornings is important, not just for yourself, but for your church members. Being a part of community is important for you and for I, because we're giving up our time and we're showing that Jesus is so valuable, Jesus is so important, that we can sacrifice relaxing at home and deal with our crazy kids in a small living room and sharing a meal together and, and growing as followers of Jesus together. That's radical generosity. If you think of Jesus and all of, his, all of his generosity that he's poured out on you, you can change the way that you see your lives. You see every day, you see every hour, you see every minute as a way for you to be generous, a way for you to leverage everything that you have to show the world the beauty and the generosity of Jesus. Because if you live that way, the onlooking world will see there's something different about these people. There's something different about these people. They are not bowing down to their checking account balances. They're not bowing down to their sacred football Sundays. They're not bowing down to only doing what they want to do when they want to do it. These people, they're ready to to give. They're ready to move. Their hearts are stirred. Their spirits are different than mine. We see the New Testament church do this in Acts 2. We see these people who are so in love with Jesus and who care so much about the church, the house of God being built up, that they sell their possessions and they give to those who are in need. They spent all of their time together. They provided for one another because they were so moved by the good news that Jesus brought into the world. And so for you and I, that should be the mentality that we have, that we can hold on to our things loosely Because God will provide for us, and he has provided for us. And we have what we have in our hands to use it for the benefit of building up God's church, his household. We get to join Jesus in building up the church. We get to join him in in that beautiful work. So I, I hope that you 
as we enter into our response time, can meditate on the goodness of Jesus and the generosity of Jesus and that your heart would be moved and that your spirit would be stirred because that leads us to living radically. That leads us to living generously. Let's pray.